Hi, I'm Caitlin Yonke. I run with a local, um, I guess, project, the Adrenaline Project here. We're kind of based out of Denver, but we have a bunch of athletes all over. Um, we are supported by Stance, Receptra, and Smith Optics. Um, yeah, and we're a local running mountain collective. We like to do great adventures in the outdoors and in the mountains, wherever our feet and bikes take us. And welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Welcome to episode 198 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have a great episode. We're talking to Caitlin Yonke today. She is in studio, so hopefully you guys uh, get a, a real conversation, not much editing at all. I mean, this is just looking across the table and chatting with someone who really opens up, talks about this life-changing event that took place during college for her, how she came to terms with it, and how she's really starting to believe more and more in herself, which is helping her life uh, really grow in the in the direction she wants, you know, professionally and uh, as an athlete, but really learning that it does take a team. And it, it takes a lot of humility to say you you know, to admit to yourself, and I've had trouble with this, that it takes a team. You can't do everything. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. I'm Ethan Wayne, director of the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. And I'm Molly, the race director for the John Wayne Grit Series. My father, John Wayne, asked my family and I to use his name to help find a cure for cancer. So we started the Grit Series. It's a series of 5Ks, 10Ks, and half marathons that take place in the most beautiful and rugged landscapes across the Southwest, including places where John Wayne shot some of his most famous movies. That's right. And all the race proceeds go towards cancer research and prevention programs. We're asking you to join us and bring your courage, strength, and grit to the fight against cancer. For more information on a race near you, visit us at johnwayne.org. That's johnwayne.org. Stay dusty. Big thank you to Exoskin. So they have a new t-shirt. It's 100% cotton, two colors, black and neon green with white logo on the front and a hashtag show us your skin and at Exoskin USA on the back. They are $26.50 each without a discount available but still just really appreciate their support. So check out the show links um, for that link to Exoskin. Also, big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If 
you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, the founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which in this era of, of sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there, it's just comforting knowing um, this, this is a, a good, honest company. And um, it, it cares about the ultra-running community. It cares about the trails and in the national parks and state parks. I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems and they they definitely support you know some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts. Caitlin, thank you for joining me. We've been friends on the trails for for quite some time. I think several years now through Runners Roost, and uh, I always see you at Leadville races because you're <laughs> always if it's an out and back, you're way out ahead. <laughs> but at least we get to see each other yeah. uh, every now and then on the trails and. Your husband, husband Brandon's a, a friend of the community, and uh, just appreciate you taking the time. This is a in studio episode. I try to change it up, and uh, it, it also allows me a little bit of flexibility and freedom with the artistic uh, <laughs> side of things. Do some photography, video. Um, so, thank you, and welcome to the studio here. Thanks for having me on. So, right as we started, you you started with. Uh, it, Talking about your job and some of the stresses, and I, I personally relate. I try not to overly, uh, you know, emphasize my story, but it, it's very relatable. We have very stressful jobs, but those stresses are vastly different. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me more about what you're doing and in those day to day stresses, because I was just interested to hear more about it. Yeah, so um, I guess I kind of always joke with people because I'm, I have two jobs. I don't consider coaching a job because I love it so much, but my primary day job is being a music therapist. And then by night, I coach runners to have that same love of the trail that I do. But my day job can get, I guess, stressful. I love what I do, but there are some times and um, some days where it can be tough. You see things that you may not want to see or like everyone else's normal work life, you may have a meeting that was tough on you. And so my my way to decompress or my way to problem solve is going out and onto the trail and just kind of working through maybe how to make a client's day a little bit better the next time or how to work through one of their behaviors a little bit better the next time. Um, and I think that's what we started with talking about. But maybe for those who are listening who have no idea what music therapy is, is I guess I can break it down in the simplest way. A lot of people have heard of who Gabby Giffords was, and she was in a tragic shooting accident in Arizona, and she lost her speech abilities. And through all of that, she actually used music or music therapy to help get her speech back. And so that was through singing and through playing music that it helped kind of repattern or reorganize her brain so that the speech could come out. And while her speech right now may not be perfect, the speech part of her brain that got destroyed while being shot really has kind of been rewired or like reprogrammed through, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And so the music kind of helped create new pathways. 
So are you only dealing with music um, day to day? Is that yeah. that your that's your means of therapy? Yeah, that's my means of therapy. So I work okay. with adults and kids who have developmental disabilities. Um, primarily just because I love that population. I love how much joy they bring to the world. They don't they don't see politics. They don't see they do see good and bad, but they don't see the other life issues that we may conceptualize. And so it's great to walk into a room and they're just happy to be with you. And so it's 45 minutes to an hour of just being happy to be with them work on life skills that they think is just being fun and singing and playing instruments. And we walk out both better people on the end of it. So we've, we've probably run quite a few miles, not that many miles together, <laughs> but what, five, 10 miles? Like, uh, I remember, I think before Black Canyon 100K during group run, we went out bluffs back and forth. Mm -hmm. You're a super good runner. I never once heard you talk about music <laughs> are are you a musician yes and how long have you been a musician for i, I truly was clueless on that <laughs> i have been playing an instrument since i was in the fourth grade okay um and so day to day are you forced to like listen to all depressing song like <laughs> are your clients like eclectic and each one has like a d different musical taste and kind of so it i guess it it does depend on their personal preference i mean i've got one who every single week will ask me to sing the what is it it's you're welcome he always calls it the thank you song but it's you're welcome from moana so i usually have that on repeat in my head so I've got that one. I've got Disney you I, songs. You and I both. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've got Johnny Cash. So I've got all of that stuff. Um, I usually don't have too many of like the sad songs. We don't do a lot of is it, listening. Is it all happy songs? It's usually a lot of happy songs and cool. it's a lot of upbeat stuff. I mean, right now my brain is filled with Christmas carols and I'm honestly okay with that because the world needs a little more Christmas right and now so, yeah and so when you're running do you listen to music i do but i don't listen to anything i sing at work okay <laughs> yeah i i mean i could probably try to do some some work while running via like audio downloads and stuff uh yeah no yeah i listen to some sometimes i listen to silence um i am a little bit more productive when i listen to music and that's just because that's been patterned into my brain since i've been a kid so before we go back into like where you started running um do you think that all means of art can help repattern brains regardless if it's like a traumatic type injury or if it's just you know day-to-day -day depression or you know something to to that effect do you think music can fix or help with that and then can like other forms of art? Yeah. Like we painting have, and yeah, absolutely. And For else. years within our company, we had a traumatic brain injury group and they did drumming. So um, I guess the best way to describe it is. Any, I mean, anybody could do this for whether you have anxiety, depression, you have nothing. 
um, no mental ailments. But I think everybody's kind of going through something at some point in time in their life. But you can take an emotion and take an instrument and you can conceptualize it, right? And then you can play it. And so if you have a drum in front of you and you play that you are angry, whatever it sounds like to you, it doesn't have to be music. You can just play how you feel. You might walk away from that feeling less angry if you played that you are angry, or you might walk away less sad. So it kind of helps you work through and untangle how you're feeling and help you work through those problems without even having to say, I'm mad today. And that's how it works with my clients. And I think other forms of therapy like art therapy or even just putting a canvas in front of you to do art helps you work through that because then you're able to express maybe what you fully can't express through words. And a lot of people have that hard time articulating how they feel or what's going on. So putting something in front of them that's artistic, whatever medium it might be, art is any medium to be creative, right? If they express that in whatever way it is, I think it really does help us become better people as long as we're using it in a constructive way to help us instead of deconstructive, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, Brittany Charbonneau and I would talk a lot about, like, what is art? Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's an interesting topic. It is. I mean, what is art could be probably its own podcast. Yeah, it could be. And throwing that in, like, what is music? That could be its own podcast, too, because you listen to something like, that's not music. But maybe to someone else it is. And there's so much swirling around out there that to somebody it means something. And I think if you're doing something creative, then you're doing something good for yourself. And that's at least my phrase for it because I work, I call all of my clients artists and musicians. And it may not sound like it to the outside world because it just may sound like noise or it may sound beautiful. But every day we're creating music together. I, I mean, I distinctly, I remember studying in college a little bit and it was a song gentleman i forget his background but he created a song called like rock and roll mcdonald's and i don't recall the the extent of the story but Hmm. i feel like he um had some severe type like brain injury and, and had like either no memory or or like no like uh like mental construction of of reality or concept of reality uh like from our vantage point but it was interesting because he could even uh, develop a, a song that honestly was kind of catchy and was in my head all day after yeah. that class. Um, but I mean, what other outlets do you have after the stress of of working uh, all day and you know probably hearing a lot of about these backgrounds of yeah you know, on either those that were just born with these situations or like, I mean, how do you balance that? And what other outlets do you have or is running and (laughs) running work and running married life? Running works for me. Having a really supportive husband works for me. Um, I guess one thing for me that has been, I guess a huge outlet for me has being an advocate for organizations 
being able to stand up and say, if there's a way that I can help, then I'm going to help. And that, for me, kind of clears clears away the, I don't want to say negative, but it clears away the gunk and the funk about feeling about it and saying, if there's something good we can do, then let's step up and do it. Instead of sitting back and saying, oh, this was hard to see, then let's move forward and see what we can do better and how we can progress forward in helping people. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm exactly uh, of the same mind. And uh, it's refreshing because I feel like a lot of people are so caught up in their own lives, they can never uh, take that next step to, to help a cause and uh change someone's life for the better even if it's one person i had a pretty extensive call with someone kind of off the books and they were thinking about doing a 50 miler and we talked a lot and they wanted their story to inspire others and it's like it doesn't matter if you inspire one person to like really change their lives for lives for the better or a thousand i mean i i truly think it starts with one you can't get to a thousand Plus, you change one person's life. Yeah, and it becomes a ripple effect down the line. It can be, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so were you in fourth grade, you were starting music, were you playing sports or... or No. Band? I was band. I was a band nerd all the way. I didn't Um, have that pinned. I I (laughs) I started doing... So, my dad was this phenomenal cyclist he still is but he was he'd go out and he'd ride for hours like he'd be like hey going for a ride like four hours later he'd come back eat a jar of peanut butter and that would be his saturday and as kids then he'd attach us my brother and i in the buggy and so imagine two little kids like knocking helmets back and forth in this buggy for a couple of hours while he went and ride road or what you know is that colorado or yeah We were out in Elizabeth, so dirt roads, and we'd fall asleep, and I guess we were great resistance training. I don't know. Or just a way to give my mom a little bit of reprieve. Yeah, seriously. Super husband there. Taking the kids for a few hours. Take the kids for a few hours, and then as soon as we got old enough, we had bikes, and we'd ride with him for a little bit. So we were more like a cycling family, but it wasn't like, I want to go out and ride my bike every day. I really wasn't that kid. I was, I'm going to go back into the practice room of our house and I'm going to go play clarinet for four to five hours or until my mom tells me I need to be done because they've probably had enough of me playing. Interesting. Because I, my brother would set a timer to practice for 30 minutes and as soon as that timer was up, he was done. They'd set the timer for me and as soon as it dinged, I could have cared less. I'd keep going. So that was... (laughs) The difference between he and I, and I just, I've always loved music, and I did, I loved cycling. My dad taught me this, I guess, innate ability to love endurance, and how far you could go, and how far you could push yourself, but I don't think I really fell in love with it until college. Cool. That's really interesting. (laughs) I I had no idea about your... Your artistic background. <laughs> People are like, ah, oh, Rob's always picking these artists or whatever. <laughs> but this one, I I never knew any of your music background. And you're always pretty, at least the, the few run groups we were both at, you're not like overly you're not yelling. You're not no. like, you don't really like the center of attention. You're just kind of quiet. 
and your yeah. your mom's at the run group a lot of yeah. times and interesting we're just kind of quiet and reserved i go to run club to be a part of the community and enjoy people's company and i like listening to people's stories and if you ask me mine i'll share it but i'm not gonna be the person that'll walk into the room and with my superman cape and say hey here's mine yeah yeah you're super humble because <laughs> you're a great runner um so it was college, you said, that yeah. you started actually running? Yes. And so what was a typical week prior prior to college on the bike? Like, I'm just trying to get a, a idea of your general, like, fitness level. I mean, I know you're biking with Super Dad that's putting <laughs> in 100 <laughs> centuries with two kids behind him. Um, um, I don't really know. We'd probably go out for... Maybe like a 20-mile ride on the weekend with him. I could not conceptualize it. I know exactly what roads we did out in Elizabeth, and he would know ex the exact mileage off the top of his head still to this day. Like, oh, it's probably about 25 blah, blah, blah miles. But I'd say probably like 19, 20 miles on some weekends. I also did track, but I was like, the 100 meter hurdler so we just like twiddle our thumbs because we had no hurdle coach and that's why I picked hurdles because we had no hurdle coach and I was the only girl so it was like I can get away with not doing anything and sprint and like <laughs> we didn't have to work like run a lot of distance and work too hard but I also liked having like a not a distraction best word to put is like having an obstacle a puzzle to put together like having that puzzle of the hurdle and how I was going to get over it and all of that. So that's the main reason I did hurdles. And then not having like a coach bark orders at us the whole time so we could figure out how to best work with the hurdles. So I was never an endurance runner. Got it. Interesting. And so what about college inspired you? Didn't really have my bike. And... When you're in music school in college, because I majored in music, you're asked to practice ridiculous amounts of time. Um, I was a music therapy major being asked to potentially become a performance major on the clarinet. And so I was basically logging four to five hours of practicing my freshman year a day. And... It's a long time to be cooped up in a room smaller than this one by yourself. And I needed something to get away from the distraction and ran a little bit in high school. Easier to put on run clothes and get out a door than put on bike gear and get out a door. And so I just started putting on run clothes and maybe making the loop around the school of music. And then it became the school, the whole school of CSU and then it just kind of became routine of doing you know three or four miles every couple of days and throughout college it grew and my dad would still come up every couple of weekends and we'd do a long ride on the bikes but it just kind of blossomed from there of I can love biking and I can love putting two feet to the pavement nice yeah a lot of people do um Look, we do put ourselves in categories, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and so were you finding your music was getting better because you had this outlet? 
I don't know about that. I think I was I was finding that I was having more balance. I was feeling less stressed and I was able to compartmentalize school with me with my social life and being able to put things in categories better and that was helping me feel like I could do more. Um I think if we and maybe you can relate here of like if we find a place to put I don't want to say an emotion that's therapist that's MT talk but if we can find a place to place how we're feeling or place our emotions for the day or place you know all that we've built up in the day and get it out somehow place that outlet somewhere we can be more productive somewhere else and i was finding that that was the case when i started running more regularly or doing other active things more regularly that i was able to get all my schoolwork done and have a clearer head and then i could go be a better friend i could go be a better sorority sister i could go be a better child and do more things and i was doing so many things that i was wondering how i was getting it all done and then i realized it's because i had this place to go just decompress the day and that was really cool and i think everybody has it whether it's running biking you paint you rock climb you underwater basket weave so just to be clear you're not charging me for this hour right no this one's on the house i'll have to ask my boss okay just (laughs) just checking there's no guitar involved so i think we're okay there should be i could go get my ukulele i i want to hear that's how we should open and close (laughs) this with uh the disney song probably get sued for that one but oh yeah it's a cover, right? It's a yeah, it's a I cover. I don't know how copyrights work I, for that. Yeah, it, we'd have to ask for. Yeah, Christmas I'm songs are okay. Not going to bug Disney again. Already, <laughs> already had to talk to their whole team. Um, so, was it throughout college you just progressed with distance, or did you stick with that same routine until you graduated, and then you started yeah. getting a little bit longer? Yeah. So my junior year of college, our whole family kind of had a hiccup. It was a really big hiccup. My dad was diagnosed with MS. And my my love of the bike went from, like, way up here to, like, eh. Because that was something I did with him. So I started running a little bit more. And... My love of the bike just kind of started to decrease a little bit, if that makes sense. Totally. Because our... um, That's completely associated with something that's hurting you. You're not going to want to go do it. And our roadmap, my mom puts it so eloquently, like, we think we have this roadmap handed to us for our life. Like, we can read it. It's clear. It's perfect. And when dad was diagnosed with MS we were all handed new ones in a different language, upside down, no compass, and we didn't know how to read it. And that our roadmap had changed for what life was going to look like because we knew what multiple sclerosis was going to do. 
And for me, being in the major I was, knowing what MS was going to do to him, I just, I felt so guilty getting on a bike. And so I started to just say, screw it, I'm going to go run. For for those without the background mm-hmm. or any kind of like medical knowledge uh, on MS, what does it do? So typically, MS, short for multiple sclerosis, it is an autoimmune disease. A lot of people think it is a neurological disease because it stems from your neurons. It is the body attacking the myelin sheath, so your protective coating of your neurons, that sends signals to the rest of your body. So the best way to conceptualize it and describe it to people listening is imagine the charging cord of your phone because we all probably use one or most of us are runners that listen to this, the charging cord of your watch. Um, Imagine that plastic coating that goes around those wires of the charging cord being frayed or gone or broken. And now try and charge your phone. It's not going to always charge. Or you have to like finagle the cord to try and get it to charge right. That's what MS does to your nerves. It strips that protective coating away. So the signal doesn't always send. And sometimes it will, and sometimes it doesn't at all. And everyone's MS is different, so no two people have the same symptoms. So while some people may just have vision impairment, someone else may have impairment in a limb, or some may have cognitive impairments, some may have um, spatial awareness where they get dizzy or they can't stand up, and some people lose more drastically control versus some people who may have no symptoms at all. So is it genetic? We don't know. There's okay. no no definitive causes. They have speculation, but they don't know what is a definitive cause of MS. So having that background, knowing that, I mean, you almost don't even have a map because you don't know which direction it could go with your yeah. dad. I mean, how are you coping with things and like... How does this develop throughout college? I mean, of all times, like you're, <laughs> you're mastering an instrument, you're finding yourself, you seem to be in such a good place, and then this just, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not <laughs> popping up. It's like slamming yeah. into your life. I it, mean, yeah. It was hard. Um, I almost failed a semester of school. Um, I'm going to get teary-eyed. <laughs> my dad's my best friend. And he's my hero. And he's taught me everything I know about how to be the athlete I am today. So getting that as I was developing into who I am today was hard. It was so difficult. <laughs> But at the same time, I know it made me such a strong and resilient person because I can look at him because he's so dang positive. We got this diagnosis and he could have said, well, screw it. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to hate life. I'm going to hate the world. And he tackles every day with a smile. And I think had it not been for his positive attitude... I wouldn't be here in front of you. 
I wouldn't have finished Leadville. I wouldn't probably have even run a hundred mile race. So I know that had it not been for him, I probably wouldn't have gotten through that first year because his attitude about it is we're just going to keep moving forward. And that was what I had to do is just move forward. We decided to ride the bike MS um, that first year because now we had something to ride for. And it was so cool to see how many people wanted to create an impact for this cause. And then we just started finding more things to do for MS, to create an impact in so many people's lives that live with this disease that has no cure because it's such, I guess, in a way, an enigma because of how it's so different in each person. If it was the same for everybody, then there'd be a cure, there'd be a way to problem solve it, but it's so different in every person. We're still finding new ways to treat it. I mean, <clears throat> so you're running more and more. I mean, you had this life shock and it's probably pushing you in the direction of your current profession. <laughs> I mean, you you have a strong why. Mm -hmm. You're doing more charity work or, or, or charity events. Uh, tell me about uh, that initial, what was it called? Is it the run across? It's MS Run the U.S. Run the U.S., yes. Yeah. So. Where's that fall into the, the story? Pretty close after college, actually. So I wanted to run a marathon. Ended up, as much as I know about biking, at that point in time, I knew that little about distance running. So I ended up getting injured because that's what every new runner does, right? Yeah. <laughs> we get injured. You can't miss a single day. Exactly. Follow the yeah, so Al Higdon training plan. I think that's what I did. I think that's what most people did. <laughs> yeah, right? So I injured myself, and then I decided to um, hurt my ego even more. And I YouTube, just like chronic YouTubed running videos. And I came across a guy running up Loveland Pass. And my first thought was, why the heck would you do that, A? And B, he was also running his fourth marathon in as many days. So it was his fourth marathon in four days, and he had three more to go. And that B, I was like, again, why? <laughs> and then w the did third you, thing that you got... Did ask yourself, like, what's wrong with this guy? I did. Okay. And then yeah. I found out he had MS. Oh, no kidding. Wow. And he was running with, I believe, an ice vest on to keep himself cool. And he was running for MS Run the U.S. No kidding. That's where you came across this. Yeah. What are the odds? Right? There's so many running videos on YouTube. And I came across that one. So I'm pretty sure I watched every single one of them that were out about the relay. Then I called my mom and said I was going to apply for this. And she said, okay, kind of like there's no stopping you, so we're going to do it. And then I think I went over to their house for dinner a few nights later. And I was like, well, I applied and I have an interview. And then about four or five months later, we were in Utah and I was ready to run from Vernal to Nephi. How far is that? 180 miles. 
And that's just your segment? Yeah. Just you? Just me. And so I had 180 miles in seven days. And you can run. The beauty of the relay is, is you just have to get from point A to point B. And you have to do it within your time frame. So you could split it up and do like 30 miles the first three days and then have lesser miles, however you wish to do it. But each runner has to complete their segment. And then they hand off to the next runner. And so it's a cross-country relay. 31 or greater seems much more attractive than cutting off at 30. Right. I did that my second time. (laughs) And so... It's made up of 19 runners, and we run across the United States. That's it? That's it. Okay. When you were telling me about this, I was picturing 200-plus people, like, Mm-mm. you know. It's a I'll team of 19. 10 miles yeah, or whatever. It's a team of 19, 19 people of you. Okay. that run from Santa Monica, California to New York City. Cool. And they have five to seven days on the road, and they run 130 to 200-plus miles in their time frame. And we run across the United States. So just to backtrack, you're doing this this marathon Hal Higdon plan. And Hal's, I, I should probably have him on the podcast at some <laughs> point. No no qualms with him. It's just everyone's so new, we always hurt ourselves yes, on that Yes, exactly. Plan. So you're injured. And like, how do you go from being injured to figuring out and then running 180 miles in seven days or less? I don't know. Was there any transition there? I, I slowly rehabbed back. Um, but I will say that I did, my injury wasn't fully healed going back to that first time I did the relay and I did learn some really valuable lessons, you know, as beginning runners, we're, we're in our brain that we're resilient. It's me and me alone. And the relay came at a time for my family where we needed to really learn that we can't fight MS alone. And it was on... My third day, we're running up a mountain pass in Utah, which isn't as steep as Loveland Pass, but it felt just as steep in my head because I was I was new to the sport. I didn't know what to expect. I had take it. It took me two hours to go nine miles, and yeah, third marathon in. That's par for the course, right? Can I just okay? So across the years in Arizona, <laughs> Jamil's one of Jamil's mm-hmm. races. There's like this section that's, uh, I think it's five feet of gain mm-hmm. over like a hundred meters or something. And they call it this giant climb because three days into across the years, yeah. people are like, oh, I got to climb the hill. And yeah. it's like legit five feet of gain. But it, after several days, it's hard. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that was where I was at. And I broke down on the side of the road and I asked my mom, how am I going to do this? Wow. And I couldn't quit. I'd made a commitment. People who live with MS and other diseases, they can't quit their marathon. That is their disease or what they live with. They can't step off the road and DNF. I had the choice that I could, but I'm not going to. And she looked at me and she said, one step at a time. And we pretty much walked the rest of the day. Later throughout the week, we found out that my injury wasn't fully healed. And fun fact, Brandon, my husband, was actually my crew that first relay. That's how we met. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. So he actually ended up running some miles for me. My brother and his wife ran some miles for me. My mom ran some miles for me. 
And my dad, the one person who we were doing all of this for, had the best advice. Sometimes it takes a team. MS takes a team. And doing this takes a team. And I've taken that into everything else that I do, whether it's racing or whether it's work. It takes a team. And that, I mean, that was the biggest slice of humble pie that I could have ever gotten in my life. It was a man who was living with MS, looking at me saying, it takes a team to do this, kid. And I was like, wow. okay. And so that's how I got through the first relay. Two years later, I did it again. And I ran from Steamboat to Denver. And That's a cool run. Oh, it was. It's my favorite section of the whole it's relay. All, it's all road. All road. Okay. I'm biased, but because I live here. But running up and over Rabbit Ears Pass and then running yeah. up and over Loveland Pass, anytime a relay runner comes through, because we do it every year, anytime a relay runner comes through Denver, I ask if I can come and join them on Loveland. One, it's a hard day. Two, it's like the best day of the relay. Altitude is crazy, too. It's crazy, oh. but it's so beautiful. It's such a fun... It's so cool to say you've run Loveland Pass. How'd the second time go? It was the best, I think, one of the best weeks of my life. I ran a few days by myself, and then every day I added more people. So Brandon came and joined me. Um, I had teammates from Runner's Roost. Um, Becky and another teammate came and joined me on Loveland Pass. It was actually like my third time running with Becky ever. <laughs> I can't think of a better pacer crew right like she most was positive like energetic human on the planet she was amazing and i was yeah. in a place where like i would just say walk okay run and then we'd talk a little bit and then i'd be like walk run and we got up and over and it was just a perfect seamless day and it just like more and more people added to it that it seemed like my intent of building a team and building community was really conceptualized in that week. Because I didn't want it to be about my journey running. I wanted people to see that this is a welcomed environment. Come and join us in creating a cure. So you really developed over those two years. Mm -hmm. That's that's fascinating. Um, and so in between, are you doing ultras to get in shape with everything kind of the ultimate goal is I got to like put up a little bit better uh, run. Like now that I'm not injured and I have this conceptualized yeah. team concept. Kind of. Yeah. I did my first, I guess, ultra like a year before, I think. I want to say I did. I don't remember the year. I did Devil on the Divide as my first ultra. Probably a poor choice. <laughs> so classic too right it's like i i ripped off that band-aid and i was like i'm just gonna go for it and i'm gonna suffer in the alpine and i thought i was just having like a terrible day and it just turns out that i was definitely just not drinking enough water but <laughs> i had i still had like a good finish or so they told me i wasn't happy with it but i was like I don't know. I blacked out the last four <laughs> miles. <laughs> I I almost dropped, and then I followed a guy down for a while, and it turned out okay. Um, I went back 
like two years later and had an even better day and chopped off an hour. But ultra runners, we're like a different breed. I think if yeah, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. I guess it's like if pizzas are on sale and it's like buy one, get one free, but we'll throw in two more for an extra dollar. <laughs> Almost every ultra runner is going to pay the extra dollar and then we will try to eat it all. Yes. Like regardless if we're in any condition to eat one pizza, let alone four. Exactly. I don't know if that made any sense. No, it does. So yeah, that's, so I did a few and then I just kind of, resorted to I hired a coach probably the biggest thing I can advocate for is hire a coach for one-on-one training plans are great coaches are better um, because we as a coach myself like we tailor the plan to meet your needs and that's what he did and then I ran the relay and I felt confident in my running and I think that was a big catalyst into where I went from there. You feel com- confident as a, a person too? Yeah. Like over this period, are you gaining uh, confidence th- in yourself as a musician, as a, a professional? Yeah. And I think what it really was, was like, we really got out all the stuff we needed to in 2014. Like we left our mad out there. Like we were still grieving. Like that grief is what a five whatever step process. I think it's a five-step process. I don't know. I, in my job with my clients, I don't deal with grief. She's We're looking at happy. me for the answer. I know. Like, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. deal with grief with my clients. We're all happy at my job. Um, but it's a process, and we got we went through a lot of steps out there. And I think we hit, like, the acceptance phase, and then we finally were like, all right, we're— over grieving it it's here and now we've accepted that it's here now we're gonna fight like hell to make sure that other little girls like me other wives like my mom other men like my dad never have to hear those words of you have ms and that was what we walked away from and we walked away with a community because everybody in the organization of ms run the u.s they're now family. Um, I guess it's been full circle now because, oh gosh, nine years later, eight years later. I'm terrible at math too. You'll find this out. Um, like I'm a run coach and I'm really terrible yeah. at math. No, it's all good. Um, I am the head coach of the organization. So I coach all the athletes for MS Run the US. Oh, cool. Very interesting. And it's family. So Ashley, the founder of The Relay, she and I are extremely close and she's extremely close to Brandon. And once you're in the organization, once you've run for the relay, you're family for life because of what you've done to help MS. And that's just... So there's no way out? There's no way out. I'm it's, sorry. <laughs> it is. We're a cult. We're a mob. Um, no, that's please, awesome. Please come though. join us. The, the family aspect. Yes. Um, we're a very and friendly. There's not many families that all run 100 and 100 plus mile right. segments. Yeah. Um, and I think when we first met, you're like, oh, you have to have my friend Ashley on the podcast. Yes. I just had that you flashback. still need I to have her on. Had that. She's amazing. I love yeah. Ashley to death. 
Let's see. So how many how many ultras have you done at this point? Um oh gosh. I'd say over twenty to thirty. I try not to overdo it because a our bodies are I don't want to say finite, but they are. As well as like you gotta be smart on the female body. I've seen so many women just like annihilate themselves and never race again. Yeah. Or they race really well for like four or five years and then all of a sudden they're not. And I don't want to be that person that hates running because they can't do what they used to be able to. And I want to be able to do this until I can't. It's, that's a great perspective (laughs) to have. And it's weird that we just say ultras. I mean, part of that's on me too. Just saying like, you know, let's group together your 180 mile effort with hundred miles with 50 K efforts. That might've been your only 50 K of the year or whatever it is. Like, come on. Like an ultra is not, an ultra like i need to be more specific on that <laughs> but so where did you go after your first ultra it sounded like wasn't a and then i went right back to it your, <laughs> it was your first what was it 50k mm-hmm. and you like somehow got to the finish line how did you reevaluate your life at the finish line how did you walk to the car <laughs> or were you carried by brandon um, Brandon was actually living in Michigan. So my friend Jeremy Hendricks, also known to a lot of people as Ironbeard, um, was actually crew for me. So he actually kind of helped me hobble to the car. But I didn't reevaluate my life too much because I think I did the North Face 50 mile that year. And then went and did the relay in San Francisco. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. And then went and did the relay in 2016 and then we got done with the relay and I was sitting on the couch next to my dad and his first question to me was when are you going to run Leadville and I said well "Well, I have I have to get in first dad like you can't just like hop on the start line and be like oh I'm here said well I have to qualify or get in the lottery first and he said well go qualify dang he's one of those people like if my dad believes in me, then I know I can do it. And so I was like, all right, I got to go qualify. And I think like <laughs> two or three months, it was maybe like two months after running the relay, I ran the marathon. Not the best idea. I don't recommend it for anybody. I definitely dug a hole. I went and I ran the marathon and I did get my coin. So I was happy about that. And I don't think I did anything really the rest of the year, which perfectly fine. And I ran the hundred, my first hundred in 2017. I saw you up for Silver Rush 50, I think when I did Silver King. Maybe, yeah. It was like I a modified know year. I did, I did Silver Rush. I may have done Silver Rush that year. I didn't finish that one. I wasn't feeling good. I remember your face. Yeah, I have like a <laughs> weird memory where I can, it's like not photographic, but... You were yeah. in a pain cave coming down. I think it was, it wasn't that far in, but you were headed the other direction. Maybe it was an out and back mm-hmm. stretch where you were maybe in like fifth, fifth female or something to that effect. And I was just like, good Lord, she's not having any fun. That could have <laughs> been in 2017 because I did finish, I 
think I was fourth or fifth that year. I don't remember. But I was not having fun towards the end of it because I was just like, dear Lord, I want to be done. Because it was hot. Silver Rush is always hot. And, like, there's that road that goes up to Iowa Gulch, which goes up to Sherman. And we call it the oven because it's in the trees, but it's a freaking oven no matter what time of day. Because it, like, it is bakes. Is it the last? Yes. It's the, the last. It's oh, the dirt road that climb. goes up. Yeah. And you go up the road. And then you've road. got, like, 15 miles left. It's never ending. It's never ending. It's hot, like, as can be. It bakes you alive. And that's the worst part of the race for me. And if you have running legs and you run up it, you've got like 10 miles to go to the finish line. <laughs> and then you get to the finish line. You're like, I can hear them. And you're like, ah, I got two miles left. And like that for me is the worst part of the race because it's on that climb. You realize that when you hear the finish line, you're, you're not, not at the there. finish line. Yeah. yeah. So Every I think time. I was probably thinking that when you saw me of like, I don't want to get to the finish line because I know I'm not done. <laughs> um, it's the cruelest joke of a race. Yeah, I mean, what? So that explains a lot. And <laughs> and so your dad is like the driving force. We can basically blame him for yeah, your, I blame your him Leadville for a lot of obsession. <laughs> um, and and so Brandon, you finally get yeah. He's definitely a bad influence on all of us. Yes, yes. Um, the hundred. Your your dad's like. Do Leadville 100, is that really what the goal was? Yes. Yeah. And why did he, why do you think he wanted you to do 100 miles? I had talked about wanting to do it. Like, just like, that'd be cool one day. And like, he knows if I say one day, I may or may not do it. And he was like, well, when are you going to? And that was kind of like the catalyst of like, if not now, when? And so it was kind of like that push of like, do it, kid. So... That was kind of a nice little jump start for me to. There's so much wisdom in that. There is. There, I've heard so many people say, "Well, one day." Right. I've heard it so many times, and I'm. Yeah. It, the switch in my head, ironically enough, was my dad, um, in thinking, reevaluating time, and how short life really is. Yeah. And just like you experienced in college, one day your life can just be totally yeah. spun around, upside down. And I, I was going to ask you the grieving process when your dad is not passed away. He's doing pretty well, right? He's, yeah. He's still alive. And how, how was the grieving process Um while someone's still around like it's not like they it wasn't like a car wreck or something where like you just didn't have a chance to say goodbye it, it's the slower process right yeah i mean i grieved the movement and it was tough but at the same time like his positivity of like we can still keep moving and we're just gonna have to go with this new 100 percent so we live our days on a different scale. And I like how he sees it as every day is our new 100%. So yes. if you feel like junk and he's fatigued and he can't get out of bed or I don't want to say that because he usually gets out of bed every day, but he's fatigued or his legs not doing what he wants it to do or we're having 
just not the day we want. That's our 100% today. That's fine. Or we wake up and we go for a run and our run is just poop, right? That's our 100%. We don't have to put a judgment on it. That was just our 100%. We gave what we had. And him seeing that, today was I gave my 100%. Today was my new 100%. And tomorrow it's going to be a different 100%. And living each day by that 100% rule has really helped us see that it's okay. Because it's always going to change. If we live on this, well, I'm not as good as I was yesterday. Well, that was yesterday. We can't look can change back, the past. Right? And he's built his trikes because he's built adaptive trikes for himself that don't go backward that's awesome and you don't go backwards because you're not too <laughs> it's safe but you're not going that way you're that's not awesome. going backwards you're always I moving just forward. told my son yesterday i was like you can't change the past but what you do in the present will change your future mm-hmm. so it's like living in the present and it sounds like that's really how he's just nailing things. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. He's just got such a really positive attitude. If you're listening, you're like, how do I change my diet? Like, <laughs> and you're feeling so guilty about yesterday. You're feeling so guilty that you start eating poorly today. Like every day is a chance to begin something new and, and start yeah. over if, if you had something negative take place. I mean, so what was it like hitting Leadville 100 mile Start line. What what year was this? Was was your dad able to make it up to Leadville? I don't know if that type of altitude like would affect him or yeah. that sort of thing. Um, I surprisingly was very calm. I worked really hard to get there. It was my dream race. Like it's I think for anybody listening that ever wants to do Leadville or has done Leadville, you know what it's like to stand on that start line. It's iconic. It's historic. Walking through town, it's one of the places that I feel home. It's It was 2017, but it's where, you know, a lot of things in my life could have happened. So it was a good, a great starting line. And my dad has been there. Um, he was at the start line. I told my crew and my mom, that if I finished, my medal went to dad. I attribute a lot of things to him. And he had no idea. And he got to sit at Twin Lakes. And I knew if I got to Twin Lakes inbound, which is 63, 64, around there-ish. Yeah, yeah right ish. I always say ish because I never, right? It's if a I got mile race. Like, it's not going to be exactly 100 miles. <laughs> right? Everyone expects it to be exactly My watch miles. said 102. Um, <laughs> but if I got there, I was finishing. Like, if I could make it 62 miles into Leadville, I could finish. You just have to walk home. You see the top of Hope, like, you see, at the top of Hope Pass, you can see Leadville. It's home. You're done. You just have to keep moving forward. And I knew that. So doing that race, that's all I had in my mind is if I could make it to Twin Lakes the second time, I was fine. I was going home to Leadville. And I made it back. He usually ever is at a Leadville race, the only person in a wheelchair, which is fine because it shows how welcoming 
the crew of Leadville is, the race organization, they adore him. Um, they always make sure to find a place where he can get in and out safely. And I love that about the race. I love races that include him. Yeah. Because he feels, he doesn't feel um, special. He feels included and he feels like a part of it. And I love that they do that to make him able to do all of this stuff. So it was cool to see him run through. And I ran through and I just knew picking up my pacer at Twin Lakes, I was, I was finishing. And it was so cool to finish the last block with him. One of my pacers pushed him. Actually, it was my brother pushed him into the finish line with me. So I got to finish Leadville with my dad. That's awesome. And it's uphill into the finish line. It is. It's the worst <laughs> finish line. Um, and so did you get a, a belt buckle? And what was your dad's reaction to... I, it, did you give him the medal? Or I gave like, him the medal. Okay. Because um, they give you so much stuff for finishing Leadville. Like you get, you, medal, you get a medal, you get a jacket, you get a medal, you get a buckle, you get a... If you place, you get a plate. Like you get all this stuff. And I was like, I don't, I don't need all of it. You know what you get for 50 miles? A van ride. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> you it. get a van ride and a good job, buddy. Um, nope. You just don't even van, get that? Oh, just man. A van ride. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I'll have to try that one again. Yeah, try it. Leadville's a phenomenal race. And so after that, um, has your dad hinted that you need to do any other races? Or like, are you starting to branch out and go after your own Defined goals. I'm sure yeah. your husband's not <laughs> helping with uh, just it, Brandon's a super great <laughs> runner. So yeah, between the two of them, uh, on average, you guys are uh, way ahead of most. That's all I'll say. Um, I attempted is run pushing rabbit. you into like crazy races. I guess is what I, I did. Run rabbit runner attempted it the next year. Unfortunately, okay. got like. I don't want to say fluke injured, but injured. Um, was that the smoky year or was that the year? It was the smoky year. Um, okay, I, I was out tripped there, really but, hard yeah. going uphill and I had been like numbed down by ice. And so I didn't feel it, but I tore my groin and had like a tiny fracture in my hip from doing that. Because then I tripped uphill and then you run like 20 to 30 miles downhill. So all that pounding just started to like separate everything really gross i know if you're trying to like picture like what's happening there Ugh, it hurt so bad i couldn't even lift up my leg so i tore my hip flexor i'm probably like yeah. one of the only people uh you'll talk to that's ever done that that's under the age of i was under the age of like 20 when i did it yeah so it was a really i feel your pain it was painful it, it was hard it it hurt and so i dropped at 50 ish miles it was the 49 ish okay, gate station not even Olympia. It was, was beyond that? No, it was something like, um, starts with a D, Dry Lake. And okay. they said it was like 48 miles. And I, I was like, Haha, everyone's yeah. watch had like 57. But again, Run Rabbit runs like an ish race too. Like it's 50-ish miles. Yeah. Right? Very, so, seriously, it's like 108 miles. Mm-hmm. No so, one ever talks about that kind of stuff. Right. So Just another hundred. I kind of set that one on the shelf that maybe I'll go back to it. But I just, I have this innate love for Leadville. 
And I just wanted to go back and see if my big buckle finish my first year was a fluke or not. I just, I have this mindset that I may sell myself short sometimes. Of I, I'm getting, I'm sensing that. And I thought maybe I just had the performance of my life and I want to see if that was a mistake. So I decided to try Leadville again. And I went out in 2019 and basically had second half, like anything that could have gone wrong stomach-wise did, but I still pulled off another big buckle finish. And so it was kind of like solidified that like I can do these hard things and I can do do them to the caliber that I think I can. Are you done with hun- with Leadville 100 or do you need to... I'll probably go back. It's just like one of those races. Like it's such a community race. Like I always say, going through Twin Lakes feels like um, the song from Cheers. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. Because you run through Twin Lakes, it's, and if you don't know anybody I think in there, I saw you actually. People, sure. people scream your name. Yeah. They somehow know you. And that to me, like you could have had the worst section coming from outbound to Twin. For anybody that doesn't know the race, it's like a slow uphill grind. Like the most pointless of uphills that have ever been uphilled. And it can destroy people, and it does destroy people. I've seen it both years I've raced. But you get into Twin Lakes, you drop off this wonderful descent, and you hear people scream your name, and you haven't reached your crew. And all of a sudden, you feel ten times better because somebody yelled your name that you don't know. I think it's maybe the I'd say top three aid stations in the whole world. Yes. For that reason, because I mean, just it's crazy. I don't know if it's how it's laid out or just the fact of how just the community that it brings. And that I think has made it such a great experience for me. And going back to it just because it's like the old faithful of races to just go and enjoy that experience probably. Um, I have some unfinished business with High Lonesome and with Run Rabbit Run that I think I need to... Same here with Run Rabbit Run. Squash first. So I'm putting in for the lottery for High Lonesome this year. Cool. Um, I mean, so tell me... I mean, I want to hear more about... um, Less, less on the, the specific races, and we'll, we'll shift back into kind of what you're thinking in terms of your charity work going forward and uh, run across the U.S., thoughts on Boston Marathon, <laughs> anything else you want to share with the world? Yeah, so this year I kind of shifting forward i attempted high lonesome and i dnf just stomach issues but i had like a reserve of fitness that i wanted to utilize and i knew that if i did a race it wouldn't be as gratifying as doing something for good so i looked at what was on the fkt website to see if there was a cool route to do and one of my buddies did the Highline Canal last year, Kyle Pitari, and 
we did it on probably the worst day of the year to do it because that's Kyle. And <laughs> what was Kyle thinking picking that day? It was had, so cold. He had it, it scheduled so the week before and he was sick. I love so Kyle. So kudos to Kyle on that one. And then the next week, like it had snowed like the day before and he's like, well, we're just going to go for it because and like he's still like annihilated it in the snow. So highly impressed with what Kyle threw down. And I had like offhanded at Leadville this year to him like, hey, I want to do something dumb for fun and for good people. And he was all in. And that's one reason like Kyle is such a good person to have in your life as a friend. And like he was all in. And I decided that I wanted to do that because the Highline is one of the most accessible trails you can get to in like all of Colorado. And it's like one of the longest. And what we don't have a lot of in Colorado is trails that people in wheelchairs can use. Hmm. And my dad's in a wheelchair. But there's an organization here called the Lockwood Foundation. They take people up 14ers in adaptive chairs. And it takes probably 20 to 30 volunteers to do it. My gosh. But they take people to the top of 14ers. But how cool would it be if we could get more people that opportunity? Or there's more trails that allow that to happen. Not just people who have the ingenuity like my dad to build chairs that meet their needs. So I wanted to partner with the Lockwood Foundation to at least help them and create a little bit of noise on trails need to be more accessible. We need to have more inclusion in the outdoors. And whether it's just small places, parks or small open spaces and if it's a mile at a time those those people are seeing part of a trail they'd never see before and that's why I decided if it was going to take me 10 took me 10 hours that took me 10 hours if it was going to take me 10 hours or if it was going to take me 15 to run 67 miles then I was going to do it because the point wasn't to get the fastest time it was to show people that we can do it together as a community. And my dad paced me the last three miles on his adaptive trike. And that was my real intent there. And last year I did all of the White Rim Road down in Utah and Canyonlands to raise awareness and funds for multiple sclerosis because he is the kryptonite for a lot of people living with MS. And if I can run 100 miles in heat and raise awareness for a disease that maybe heat cripples them or the desert is tough and it's hard and I could have had any opportunity to quit, then I'm going to do something for them and they don't have opportunities to quit. And I like challenging myself in that way where I don't have to sign up for a race bib and keep doing stuff like that because I get to push myself and I get to make a little bit of, I guess, noise doing so. I mean... I've seen one or two people running for charities, and when I saw what you were doing, I had to reach out because <laughs> I knew it was sincere. I didn't know much of the backstory just because, I i mean, it's I just hadn't dove. Uh, so really appreciate you sharing so much about your story and opening up, and I would never have guessed you were an artist <laughs> that carries a ukulele in the back of your car. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know for, you were an artist at all, honestly. Yeah, it's, I've got several instruments in my car for work because I travel from 
like day program to day program or house to house for my clients. It's amazing. And so, I mean, last thoughts here. You mentioned to me like something you picked up during, uh, was it the Boston Marathon? Mm -hmm. Or was it? It was Iron Man events too. So I mean, yeah, I wanted to hear more about that and inclusion in, in that. So area. in a lot of the world majors marathons, there is usually and I call them abled waves. They call them disabled waves. I don't like the term disabled. We are other abled. Yeah, the people I work with are other abled because what they can do is so beautiful. But the other abled waves are very limited. In a field of 30,000 people, their field is limited to less than 100, usually, which to me is surprising. That doesn't even make sense with, like, the... Yeah. Like, how, how's that fallout as, like, uh, just yeah, and general then, populace isn't right as a percentage? I don't know. That doesn't and make sense. And they have different categories in there, and... What I'm finding and researching in all of this to be able to run a marathon with my dad is you have to meet certain requirements. And then in stumbling upon this, there's a young gentleman who was the first young man to ever run or do an Ironman, not run an Ironman, finish an Ironman with Down syndrome. And the stat that I found most alarming was he was the only person with Down syndrome at the Boston Marathon. And... I don't have off the top of my head the statistics of people with Down syndrome, the percentage of people with Down syndrome in the United States. But I know that that quotient of people that ran Boston versus him in Boston should be a higher percentage. Yeah, if I was if I was right. a big city marathon, I would be carefully uh, evaluating right. that thought. I'm kind of shocked i'm very uh, shocked and i'm very shocked that there no one's mentioned it that's what i'm shocked about that's Not, what i am I too mean, and he's just his joy his spark for life and also his advocacy for those not just with down syndrome but living with other abilities is phenomenal and what i also find just so I don't want to say appalling, I guess shocking is the right word, is you either have to fit in this abled enough category or not abled enough. And what happens to the people in the middle that might be abled enough, but they might need assistance should anything happen? What happens if they have a seizure? What happens if they lose control? What happens if they're trying to do their best and they need a guide? And I'm falling short of trying to find any information that they allow that because it's too many people or they simply don't know what to do with that in the middle population. And I could be very wrong on this. So if anybody from the World Majors Marathons is listening to this and has an answer for me, I am all ears. But as an advocate for those living with other abilities, I do truly want to know because that type of inclusion to me is so important because seeing the joy on their faces at races, there was a young man that did a race with my dad at pumpkin pie and he and his guide were just having the best time. He wasn't in first. That's okay. That usually isn't always the point. It's to complete 
and for joy. And his smile while running and talking to his guide, you can trade that for the world. And there needs to be more of that. Yeah. I've talked to uh, Scott Jurek, who does some guiding Mm -hmm. for... uh, I think it's Achilles, right? Yeah, Achilles. Achilles. That's Mm -hmm. such an awesome group as well, but... Uh, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you're mentioning it. And, you know, thank you for taking the time. We'll be in touch. Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure I'll hopefully see you out at Runners Through sometime soon. Yes. And hopefully we'll be putting on a, a local race and uh, definitely we'll consider a lot of what you uh, had mentioned as uh, potentially like <laughs> newbie uh, RDing. So. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, where can people follow you on social media? Um, you can follow me personally at kkru 917 Two Ks, two Os, R-O-O, 917. A lot of people mistake it. I don't know. Um, and then on our coaching page at run underscore infinite on Instagram. I'm not really active on Facebook, so that's kind of a moot point there. And I don't have Twitter. Don't have TikTok. So no TikToks. Just, no. <laughs> like you said, I'm kind of reserved. I'd be the most awkward TikTok person on the planet. So reach out, um, try to get a hold of her so we can get her on TikTok. <laughs> but thank you, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me on, Rob. Oh, I'm very tired of singing your welcome, so we're gonna do how far I'll go. that was episode 198 really hope you guys enjoyed it big thank you to caitlin for coming in studio it was a real conversation there when someone's tearing up talking about something that important i'm always appreciative so big thank you to her she's super talented she's starting to really trust herself and believe in herself and i can only see awesome things transpiring for her in the future Big shout out to the show sponsors. Real quick, I wanted to thank Hammer Nutrition. I just ordered some daily essentials, vitamins. Definitely check out Hammer Nutrition's daily supplements. I really highly recommend them. Big shout out to Exoskin as always. They're having a big sale on their website. And check out the show notes, Tannery Outdoors. There's a discount code there. And then the John Wayne Cancer Foundation. Their grit series. Definitely look into adding one of their races if it's uh, nearby. So, really appreciate you guys. Big shout out to you, Patreon supporters. Could not do this without you guys. Most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.